Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Welcome to a church that believes that every part of God's word is true. Right, church? Oh, that was terrible. Like, terrible. Thank you. Right, church? Right. You guys have a seat. Today is somewhat of a unique day. Um, Mike is homesick today. Um, I know. Aw, poor guy, right? And, uh, but, the th- and if you're visiting Grace Point Church, you think, oh, who is Mike? Mike is the lead pastor here. He's normally the one who is up here and preaching. But ironically, months ago, Mike asked me if I would put on my calendar to share the story of the Bible on this particular day. So call it ironic, call it providence of God, I don't know. But here's the thing, what we're going to do today is we're going to traverse the landscape of the entire Bible. And we're going to see that all 66 books make up one story. Now the thing is, you might be sitting in here and you might know that the Bible is one story. Matter of fact, you maybe you can even tell the Bible as one story. But the thing is, is even if you do know, and even if it's really familiar to you, you would agree with me on this, that the more that you read the word of God, the more that you become a student of the word of God, the more that you realize there is more that you need to know, the more God draws you into a relationship with him. But if you're sitting in here this morning and you're thinking, okay, I don't know the entire story of the Bible, I'll bet that as we move forward, that there will be parts of stories or pieces of a verse or a name that you'll think, oh yeah, see, I know that part of the story. And as we do, as we start looking at the story of the Bible, what I want to invite you to do is I want you to ask questions. Not that we are questioning the Bible as if we are trying to disprove it, but rather to ask questions as a learner. I've been asking a lot of questions in my life right now, like, God, why are you allowing that to happen? And God, where are you in this? And the thing is that asking questions is a good thing. I discovered this week when I was doing some research that it's considered right in a Jewish family when they're sitting around a table and telling a story, maybe it's even a passage from the Old Testament that they might be reading, it is expected, even considered sacred, that questions would be asked of the text. So a Jewish mother, when a child comes home from school, may not ask their child, what did you learn at school today? But rather that mother may ask, did you ask any good questions today? And so what I want us to do is I want us to ask questions. Let's begin with the simplest question. Why? 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 Echoing the annoying two-year-old in the back seat of your car, right? Why, mom? Why? Why? Or what's that? What's that? What's that? The thing is, is we never really outgrow asking questions. You might even be asking a question right now that might sound something like this in your life. God, what in the world are you doing? right? Anyone? Let's ask that question, but let's reframe it a little bit. Let's even reframe the sentiment behind it somewhat. And let's ask this question, God, what are you doing in the world? 
When we come to the Bible, often what we do is we come to it, often I do, even as a self-help book. And I open its pages and I ask the question like, God, what is your will for my life? But the Bible in its purest, most simplest form is this. The Bible is the revelation of God. Meaning this, that when we open it up and we are in his word, God reveals himself to us. So instead of asking the question, what is God's will for my life? Let's ask a question that likely you've never asked before. What is God's will for God? And let's begin there with God at the very beginning. God who existed before anything was created. And by his breath and by his words, he spoke everything into existence. The very first sentence in the book of Genesis says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So everything that with, I'm with my grandchildren, all the simplest things that we're pointing to going, flower, and they're going, touch it, they want to touch it. Bug, and they want to touch it. Leaf, and they want to touch it. Star, sun, moon, all of the simplest things God created. He even created the most complex things, the things that you learn in fifth grade science class that if I asked you to explain it to your child today, you wouldn't be able to, like things like photosynthesis and metamorphosis and evaporation, and cell reproduction, right? All of these things God created. And five times in Genesis, he looks at it and he says, it is good. And then God made male and female, man and woman. It says that he created them in his image. Think about it. People, humanity, created and designed to reflect God. To which he said, it is very good. Now let's just stop and let's ask a question for a minute. Like, why? Why did God create man and woman? Why did God create you? Why do you exist? It says this in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for, here's the reason, created for my glory. It even says in the book of Psalms that you made him a little lower than the angels and you crowned them with glory. I want us to pause for a minute because I know that this creation story is really familiar and I don't want us to get lost in the familiarity of it. Neither do I want us to get tripped up in the mystery of God's glory, but I do want us to pause for a moment and recognize that you were not an afterthought. That God in his intention and in his love created and designed you for his glory. He put Adam and Eve in a garden called Eden and he told them that everything there was for them. But there was one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they could not eat from or they would die. And Adam and Eve enjoyed unhindered, intimate relationship with one another and with God. But there was a crisis that takes place. And the serpent, craftiest of all the beasts of the field, came to Eve and said, did God really say that you can't eat from any of the tree in the garden? You're not going to die. God knows that if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you will be like God. And as if God were withholding something, Eve took the fruit and ate it. Adam ate the fruit. 
Their eyes were open. They knew they were naked. They knew they were ashamed. And instead of running to God for a solution, they hid from God. So when God came and he found them, he said, what have you done? And Adam looked at Eve, pointed at her. And Eve looked at the serpent and pointed to the serpent. And God cursed them all. But even in God's condemnation, there was a hint of future salvation. When God said this, he said it would be the seed of the woman that Satan would wound, but it'll also be the seed of a woman who would crush Satan himself. God gives a hint of future redemption. It says this of God's creation, God's creation whom he created for his glory. In Romans 3.23, it says this, that we sin and we fall short of the glory of God. It goes on in Romans to say this, that just as sin came into the world through one man and death came in through that sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. It says this, that for 800 years, sin multiplied upon the earth, so much so that when God looked at humanity and he saw the wickedness and their evil, it says this in Genesis chapter 6, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. God sent a flood to destroy all of his creation except for one man whom found favor with God, whom God instructed to build an ark. What was his name? And Noah built an ark. His family was saved, as well as two of every kind of animal. And when the floods subsided, God told him to be fruitful and to multiply upon the earth. And at that time, the world had one language. And the people came together, and they said, let's build a tower up to the heavens, and let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered. And God came down and confused their language, and he scattered them upon the earth. Can, can we just do a time out here for just a second? Like, let's just do a temperature check of humanity. Like, how are they doing so far? Because what we see is that God, the creator, said, I am the creator God. I am the God. And humanity said, no, we want to be like God. God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And humanity said, no, we want to come together and make a name for ourselves. That God never withdrew his love, his grace from the crown of his creation And he chose one man who was 75 years old and his wife, who was named Sarah. Abraham, who was old and Sarah past childbearing years, God told them to go to a place that I will show you. And God made an unconditional covenant with Abraham, a promise that wouldn't matter about human behavior. God promised that he would fulfill it. In Genesis chapter 12, God said this, to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Three times God reiterated this covenant with Abraham. And at the age of 99, 25 years later, after God had made the first promise, Abraham and Sarah had a son named Isaac. And when Isaac grew up, God reiterated the covenant with him. He said this to Isaac, through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. 
Isaac had two sons, Esau, who was a little hairy, and Jacob, who was somewhat a mama's boy. And through a scheme of soup and deception, Jacob, the youngest, gets the birthright and the blessing from his father. He's afraid of his older brother Esau, so he is on the run. And while he is on the run, one night he wrestles with God. And God says to Jacob, what is your name? Jacob says, Jacob, which meant deceiver. And God said, I'm going to change your name to Israel, which means God prevails. Well, Jacob had 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. Likely, you know, one of them who had a coat of many colors. Hint, hint, hint. Who is this? Joseph, right? Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, forgotten by his friend in prison, and yet found favor with God, rose to a position of power in Pharaoh's court. And because he interpreted the dream that Pharaoh had, they were able to collect food seven years of plenty so that when seven years of famine came, they would not starve. Well, Jacob and his family of 70, or Israel, are also experiencing the famine. And so they leave and they go to Egypt to get food. And when it is discovered that Joseph is alive, that their brother is living, Joseph says to his brothers, it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. And Pharaoh invited Israel, his family, to dwell in the land of Egypt. But after Joseph died and after Pharaoh died, favor went away. The Egyptian leaders began to be threatened by the Israelites, who their population kept growing. And so they made the Israelites their slave. And the more that they oppressed the Israelites, the more the Israelites multiplied. So Pharaoh had an idea to take all of the Israelite firstborn boys, or known as Hebrew people, and to take the Hebrew boys and have them thrown and drowned in the Nile River. But there was one mother who took her baby put him in a basket, who floated down the river. His name was Moses. And Pharaoh's daughter found Moses, took him into the Egyptian palace, raised him. And when Moses knew his heritage was of Hebrew descent, he saw an Egyptian being cruel to a Hebrew slave. He killed the Egyptian and then ran for his life in the wilderness for 40 years. Until one day, on a hillside, there was a burning bush. And God spoke to Moses. And he said, I'm going to deliver my people out of Israel, and I am sending you to speak to Pharaoh. But Moses, all tongue-tied, had all of the excuses of all of his inabilities to be able to do this. He even said, well, when I go to the people of Israel, and they ask me, what is the name of your God who has sent you here? What am I supposed to say? And God said, you tell them that my name is I am. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob, and this is my name forever. And so Pharaoh goes to Moses, and he says, hey, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, um, mm, no. Well, we've shortened it just for this story today, okay? So it's a little bit longer than that. But that's pretty much how it goes. But there's this cadence then where God sends ten plagues that rival all the Egyptian gods, And as he sends these 10 plagues, when we look in the book of Exodus, this is what it sounds like. Now, I want you to ask, what's the question? What in the world is God doing? 
Or what are you doing, God, in the world? It says this in Exodus, that he sent frogs. Why? That you may know that there is no one like our God. He sent flies and took them away. Why? That you may know that I am the Lord. He sent hell. Why? That you may know that the earth is the Lord's. He sent locusts. Why? That you may know that I am the Lord. That's only four of the plagues. And yet, do you get the point? That God is unwaveringly, unchangingly, supremely passionate about his purpose and his name being made known in all the earth. It even says this in Exodus 9. Why did God raise up Pharaoh? He said this. For this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God gave a final warning that he was going to send an angel of death. And so he gave instructions to the Israelites that they were to take a lamb, sacrifice it, take the blood of the lamb, and to smear it across the doorframe of their home. So that when God sent the angel of death and the angel came over the Israelites' home, would see the blood covering that home and the angel would pass over. It was at that time that God instructed them to remember this time of pass over. But when the angel of death came to the Egyptians' home, it didn't pass over. And the firstborn of every Egyptian family died, including Pharaoh's son. Pharaoh, disheartened, tells the Israelites to leave. The Israelites leave immediately. They're on their way, but it's not long before Pharaoh changes his mind. The sea Massive waters are in front of the Israelites and behind them is Pharaoh's army. And the only way of rescue is through the waters. Moses raises his staff, God parts the waters and the Israelites cross on dry land. As they're over safe on dry land, the Egyptian army comes into the sea. God sends the waters crashing back over the Egyptian army and they all die. God redeemed his people. They're on their way to the promised land, but they've not traveled this way before. God sends a cloud in the day to lead them in a fire at night. He gives them manna, sweet bread from heaven. But it says this in the, in, in the Bible, that the Israelites are now remembering that, that fish that they had, the garlic and the smell of the onions and the cucumbers and the melons and their mouth are now watering. You know what they begin to do? They begin to grumble. And they begin to complain. And instead of enjoying the freedom that they have, they wish that now they were slaves again back in Egypt. Yet God continued to love his people. So he gave them commandments. He wrote them on tablets of stone. The first one being, you shall have no God before me. And he said this to them, obey them, these commandments completely, and you will display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. In other words, you'll be my representatives, and through you, other nations will see me. He gave them instructions to build a tabernacle, a portable tent, and according to the instructions as they built it, when they set up the tent, God would come down, inhabit the tent, and God's presence would dwell among his people. He put in place a sacrificial system where priests would offer the blood sacrifice of a lamb. He told them this commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
And he reminded them, you are to be a holy people. I didn't choose you because you were the greatest in the land. I chose you and you were the fewest in the land. And the reason I chose you to be my treasure simply was because I loved you. That when the Israelites came to the promised land to which God had promised to give to them, they looked at the land and became afraid of the people that lived in the land. They didn't trust the God who had delivered them from the Israelite or from the Egyptian army. They didn't trust the God who parted the Red Sea. They didn't trust the God who led them in the wilderness and fed them in the wilderness. But instead, they began to be afraid and refused to go into the promised land. God allowed the disobeying Israelites to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until God raised up a new generation. When Moses died, Joshua became the leader of the Israelites. Joshua then led the Israelites to march around the walls of Jericho seven times until they crumbled. You know that story. And then they come to the flooded waters of the banks of the Jordan River and the priests step into the waters. And it says this, don't forget to ask why. Why is God acting the way that he is acting? It says this in Joshua chapter 4. For God did this. He dried the waters right before your eyes. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful. They entered the promised land. They were able to conquer their enemies. And Joshua told them, listen, choose. You choose this day who you are going to serve. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. He said, I've set before you blessings and I've set before you curse. Choose life that you might live. The people said, everything that God has commanded, we will do. In all of Joshua's life, the people followed after God and the next generation followed after God. But after that, it says in Judges that there was a generation of people that did evil in the sight of the Lord and they abandoned God. And in the words in the book of Judges, it says this, They abandoned the Lord of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and they whored after other gods and bowed down and worshiped them. God in his anger allowed enemies to come in and to plunder them. But God would hear their cries. And so God would raise up a judge like Gideon. And as long as Gideon was the judge, the people would fall after God. But once Gideon died, the people no longer fall after God. And so God raised up another judge like Deborah. And as long as Deborah was alive, the people would fall after God. But when Deborah died, the people no longer followed after God. So God raised up another judge like Samson. Same song, second verse, right? And the people continue to do evil in the sight of the Lord. So God raised up a man named Samuel. Samuel was a judge He was a priest and he was a prophet. And at this time, the people began to cry out and looking around at the other nations, they said, we want to be like the other nations. We want a king to rule over us. And although God wanted to be their king, he gave the people what they wanted. Saul, who was anointed the first king, was pretty much a flop. So God sent Samuel on a quest to find a new king and gave him these instructions. God does not look at the outward appearance, but rather God looks at the heart. And when Samuel came to Jesse's family and all the sons were standing before Samuel, it was the forgotten son out in the field, the shepherd boy who would be anointed to be king, David. David, the guy whose father told him to take bread and cheese to his brothers who were fighting in the army. And when David arrived, he sees this giant 
Goliath, who is demoralizing the army of God, who is defaming the very name of God. And so David, with his slingshot in hand and his stones in his other hand, he says this to Goliath, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down. And every boy's favorite part of the story, I will cut off your head. But why? So that the earth may know that there is a God. David was considered to be a king after God's own heart. His son Solomon had half a heart. Solomon was known for his wisdom and for his wealth. And Solomon built a temple for God. And when he prayed, the presence, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And God said this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and if they will turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. But, but, if you turn aside and you forsake my commands and you go and you worship other gods, then I will pluck you from the land that I have given to you. Solomon, because he took hundreds of wives and concubines, worshiped God, but he also built altars and idols for his wives' gods. Solomon had a son who had no heart. He taxed the people harshly. He made them work hard. And when the people cried out for it to be eased, he made it all the more stronger and all the more harsh until civil war happened in the kingdom. And when civil war happened in the kingdom, the kingdom divided. Judah went to the south with two tribes and Israel went to the north with 10 tribes. In the south, there were a few kings that followed after God, but most of them did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. But in the north, No king followed after God. They all did what was evil in the sight of God. So God sent prophets, men who would foretell future events, but also and mostly would foretell God's message. At times, they would even demonstrate God's power, like Elijah, who went toe-to-toe in the battle of the gods with King Ahab, who the people over here are praying and dancing around an altar to their God, and Elijah wets an altar over here, and when he prays, fire falls down from heaven, consuming the water, consuming the altar. And you know what the response of the people was? We will worship that God for a short time until they no longer worshiped God anymore. God sent a prophet named Isaiah And this was God's message to the people. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. Why should my name be profaned? My glory, I will not give to another. And yet God still desired to use humanity for the spread of his name and for his glory. Isaiah also said this to the nation, that God's message was, I will make also, make you a light for the Gentiles. Why? Why? Did God decide to use rebellious people that my salvation may reach to the ends 
of the earth. Well, the people were not following God. Do you remember what the prayer was, what the message was from God, that if you do not follow me, I will pluck you up and take you out of the land that I have given you. Assyria came in and completely annihilated Israel. After that, Babylon came in, not only annihilated the north, but took over the south. The people were taken into captivity. The temple was completely destroyed. The temple artifacts, the holy things of God were taken out of the land. People were deported like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember the three guys who wouldn't worship the idols, who were thrown into a fire and declared this, look, our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't know this, we will not bow down to your God. Another guy like Daniel, who would not pray to the king and was thrown into a lion's den and yet God delivered him. God sent a prophet named Ezekiel. Listen to these words. The message of God through his prophet. This is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am doing these things, but for the sake of my holy name. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord. And I will take you out of the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and I will bring you back into your own land and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I'll remove your old heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and you will be my people and I will be your God. After the Babylonian Empire became the Persian Empire. But the Persian Empire was led by Cyrus the Great, who believed that the people should live in their own land. And so the people were allowed to go home and to construct. The first wave of people was led by Zerubbabel, who went back into the land, and he helped the people to rebuild the temple, although never to the grandeur of Solomon's temple. The second wave of people was led by Ezra, who was determined to teach people God's word and God's law. And the third wave of people was led by Nehemiah, who was intent on building the walls around Jerusalem that had completely been destroyed. And after that, after the prophet Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, we have no recorded activity of God, no recorded message from God, seemingly, God is quiet. God is silent. But the thing is, is when you open up the New Testament, which isn't a new story, by the way, it's just a continuation of one that is already in motion. But when you open up the New Testament and you turn to the page of Matthew, the first gospel, the very first place that Matthew begins is back here with Abraham when it says this, that Abraham fathered Isaac and Isaac fathered Jacob and Jacob fathered Judah and Judah fathered Perez by Tamar, who was the mother. And Perez fathered Hezron and Hezron fathered Ram and Ram fathered Abinadab and Abinadab fathered Nishan and Nishan fathered Salmon and Salmon fathered Boaz whose mother was Rahab who gave birth to Obed whose mother was Ruth who gave birth to Jesse and Jesse fathered David who was the king and David fathered Solomon and Solomon fathered Rehoboam and Rehoboam fathered Abijah and Abijah fathered Jehoiakim and it goes on and on and on until Matthew gets to Methan who fathered Jacob and Jacob who fathered Joseph who was the husband of Mary. 
who by a miracle gave birth to the Son of God, who was the Messiah, who was told you will name him Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. Jesus Christ, the one in Colossians that says this, that he is the visible image of an invisible God. Jesus Christ, the one whom John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ, who as it says in Hebrews, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus chose 12 disciples to follow him. And he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Although they didn't understand the invitation completely, they followed Jesus, the invitation that he gave, but they didn't understand it was also to eventually further his kingdom. For three years, Jesus trained them. They learned this. They learned that Jesus had power over spiritual forces when they saw that Jesus delivered demons-possessed people. They saw that Jesus had power to meet humanity's needs when he fed 5,000 who were hungry by multiplying fish and bread and everyone who ate were satisfied. They saw that Jesus had power over nature when Jesus walked on water or just by his words, he calmed the storm. They saw that Jesus had power over death when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And yet the religious leaders were irate. This guy Jesus is claiming to be the son of God. This guy Jesus says that he is going to destroy the temple and in three days he's going to build it back. But Jesus looked at the religious leaders and he said, you know what your problem is? Your problem is that you don't know the scriptures because everything here points to me. He says this in Matthew, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. And as Jesus is with his disciples and they're celebrating the Passover that all the Jews were instructed to celebrate, Jesus was arrested. He was taken to an illegal court And when they realized that they didn't have the authority to kill him, they brought him to Pilate. Pilate wanted nothing to do with him, so he sent him to Caiaphas. Caiaphas didn't want anything to do with him, sent him back to Pilate. Pilate's trying to get rid of him. Eventually, Pilate listens to the people who are shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so the very Christ, the one who is the Savior of the world, they nailed to a cross. The most extreme of executions in that day. But why? It says this in Romans. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But why? It says in 2 Corinthians that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Or in other words, that we might be again made right with God. Jesus died on the cross. They buried him in a tomb. 
And three days later, when the women are visiting the tomb, they encounter an angel who said, he isn't here, he is risen. The women run back to tell the others that Jesus is alive. Jesus appeared to his followers multiple times over the next 40 days and five different times he gives them the commission. Listen, as the father has sent me, now I am sending you. Go into all the world and make disciples. And my favorite one is found in Luke chapter 24 when Jesus sits down and pretty much has a Bible study with them. Jesus is sitting there and it says this and he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then it says that he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. He told them that what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead. And on the third day, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And as Jesus is about to ascend into heaven and he's telling the guys that you're going to be witnesses for me in Jerusalem where they can't stand you in Judea and Samaria, the people that you can't stand and to the uttermost of the per- parts of the earth, people that you don't even know exist. He ascends up into heaven and as the guys are with him, like they're questioning like, wait, 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 wait. Are you going to restore our kingdom now? While Jesus is giving them the responsibility to further his kingdom. He told them to go into Jerusalem and to wait, to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. 120 people gathered in a room praying and fasting. When the Bible describes it this way, that it was like a rushing, sound of a rushing wind, and it looked like tongues of flaming fire dancing on their head. And people began to speak in different languages so that all the people in the city visiting from all the places around the world could hear spoken in their language. Peter, the one who had denied Christ, is now the one absolutely, fervently determined to share the gospel of Christ. And you know what he tells them? He begins back here and he begins to unpack the entire story. And it says that over 5,000 people gave their life to following Christ that day. And a church was born. They met together, praying and fasting taking care and meeting each other's needs. Even says this, that John and Peter one day were going up to the temple and a lame man says, hey, give me money. And they're like, hey, we don't have any money, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. The guy gets up and walk. There's an uproar in the city because of a guy, lame, now healed. And people want to know by what power, by what name did you do this? Peter tells them this in Acts chapter four. Listen, it's by the power of Jesus' name. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that is given among men by which we must be saved. Persecution becomes great in the land. And if you were a follower of Jesus, you were likely on the run for your life. But it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. And perhaps The one who persecuted the Christians the most, Saul, has a blinding encounter with Jesus Christ. His name becomes Paul. He becomes a forerunner of the gospel. 
planting churches, leading in churches, writing letters to churches that make up most of our New Testament. He wrote this to the church in Galatia. Listen, it's not that there's male and female. It's not that there's Jew and Gentile. It's not that there's free and there's slave. You are all one body in Jesus Christ to which he is the head over the church. He said to them, he said this to them, listen, we have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, but it isn't us. It's Christ who now lives in us. So this life that we're living now in the flesh, we live by faith in the son of God who died and gave himself for us. He wrote to the church in Corinth and he said this, he said, listen, it's the love of Christ that compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. And if one died for all, then we should no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who gave himself for us, for we are Christ's ambassadors, persuading the world to be reconciled to Jesus Christ. Paul, in the time of Nero, was arrested and executed. And perhaps the only apostle now that is left is John. John is arrested, but because he is old and of age, he's exiled to an island. And yet God tells him, I'm going to give you a vision. And he pulls back curtains on the stage of eternity and allows John to peek inside and to see what's happening. And he tells him, write down everything that you hear and write down everything that you see. And John, hearing the words of Jesus, who said, behold, I am coming soon. Jesus says he's coming again. And as John is peeking in, he sees what is called a new creation. A new creation in the heavens where it is described in Revelation, where it is a city that doesn't even need the sun. It doesn't even need the moon for the glory of God will eliminate the city. There's a time of distress when there's a scroll that's identified that seemingly no one can open until it is announced that the Lamb of God can break open the seal for he was slaughtered and by his blood he ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and this diverse crowd that was too great to count who was standing before the Lamb of God fell down on their faces. They were shouting, salvation belongs to the lamb. And they begin to say blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to God forever and ever. Amen. John penned these words of Jesus who said, I am the alpha and I am the omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. That is the story of the Bible. It's a story that its purpose is immeasurable. It's a story that its message is critical. It's a story that its value is eternal. God in his love chose you, set you apart, created you to be a part of something that he is doing for his name and for his glory in all the earth. But I know this, I know that even while we contribute to it, we're not the author. And while we have a part to play in it, we're not the center of it. But in this room, I don't want to oversimplify it, but the reality is this, is there's two different kinds of people. 
there's those who at a point in time in their life determined that they realized that they were sinners, that they were separated from God. They also knew that they needed Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, to become Lord over all their life. They confessed with their mouth and they believed in their heart that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead and we say that they are saved. But then there are others in the room who haven't yet done that. Who maybe haven't even realized that my sin separates me from God. Who haven't realized that the entire story of the Bible answers the very questions of why I exist. Answers the very question of what's wrong in this world. It answers the very question of, is there any hope? It answers the question of what happens to life after people die. And to you, I want to say this. I want to invite you to simply say yes to Jesus Christ. To turn from your sin. To make Jesus Lord of your life. You simply confess with your mouth that he is Lord. You believe in your heart. It says that you will be saved. If that's you in the room today, I know it can feel awkward because it's like, well, now what do I do? Here's what I want to tell you is there's this guy sitting over here in the front row. His name's Eric, my friend. And he's going to be out in the hallway or you could find me and just simply say this, look, I want to I wanna become a follower of Jesus Christ. But for the rest of us, I want you to hear this. Those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, what you have just heard is you have just heard the mission of God who is passionate about his name and about his glory in all the earth. You cannot mess up the story of what God is doing for the purpose of his name in all the earth, but we can certainly miss out on it. Grace Point Church does not exist because we came up with some vision and mission on our own. Grace Point Church exists because God has a mission. We're simply the church carrying out that mission. As a follower of Jesus Christ, this is your mission too. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you give us your word. God, you truly are holy in all blessing and honor and thanksgiving and power and strength and glory belong to you. God, we exist for your glory. You created things for your glory. And I pray that we would be creation, that we would be humanity that then will give glory back to you. God, I pray for those who maybe you're considering, do I want to follow Jesus? God, you would give them courage to continue to seek. That you would speak clearly. God, for those of us in the church, I pray that you would just awaken our soul to what our role is. That we are followers of Christ. And with that invitation comes the responsibility to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. 
As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Sent.